0: isn't it? First of all, who's watching England tonight? I'm so, guys, World Cup final, I'm so excited. We woke up Jude um, at 10 o'clock to watch the semi-final and I'm so stoked that we did because how much joy. I'm slightly worried about my heart rate. Now, this has got absolutely nothing to do with the talk. I just wanted to talk about England being in the finals. Um, so that's that. Um, so very excited today. I'm Mary. Um, I lead the prayer life of St. Augustine's, if I haven't met you before. Um, and today in our Beauty, Goodness and Truth series, we are looking at the topic of leading with creativity. And as Newt, Jim and John have so eloquently um, explained over the past weeks, we are all creative because we are all made in the image of a creative God. In a nutshell, we become who we are created to be by first recognizing that we are created to reflect the creativity of our Creator into every part of our world, which is basically page one of the Bible. And so I would love for you this morning to ignore that part of your brain that excludes you from this conversation, because maybe like me, you're absolutely terrible at art, or maybe you're thinking you're never the one person that comes up with ideas, or maybe you do a job that you don't deem as creative. If you put yourself into one of those categories, that does not exclude you. Every one of you is made in the image of God, and if you're living and breathing and you are sitting here today, or you're listening, or you're watching online, welcome if that's you, then you are born creative. Secondly, because creativity and creating is central to who God is, the process of creating and producing new ideas is a central way that we are designed to connect and to engage with God. The process of creativity is a spirit-inspired process, and God's spirit is through all of it. So whether it's as simple as coming up with a way to stop your toddler crying by making them laugh, or problem-solving with a plan to come up to avert disaster at work, that is all being creative. It's an opportunity to connect with the spirit and a moment where God is using us in our day-to-day lives. And thirdly, just as God has created every person uniquely, every person's creativity is expressed uniquely. And tapping into this for yourself is central to fueling our creativity. And as I was talking to Holly, who is sitting here today, about our topic and about creativity and our passion, she said of her husband Rico, who isn't here today to embarrass, but um, said, I mean, Rico's passion is roads, and he loves engineering roads. That's his job. And all, we all need roads to be safe. So God really can use us all in our creativity. So none of us are excluded, even Rico, who loves roads. <clears throat> and so today, we thought we would mix it up to instead of having a normal sermon, we wanted to hear about putting creativity into practice and with that in mind, we thought it'd be awesome to have some of us in Augustine's Farno and talk about how creativity has outworked in their lives. And so, we want to welcome Susan Barter, Zach Culpin, and Holly Brooker, and we're excited to have you here. Welcome, let's give them a little round of applause. Um, so, to start with, I thought it would be great to rewind and start at the end rather than the beginning, and then we're going to see how we kind of got there. And so, Susan, let's start with you. What do you do on a day-to-day with your work?
1: I'm a lecturer at Whitecliffe College. Um, I lecture in a Bachelor of Sustainable Fashion Design. So, we are redeeming the fashion industry one graduate at a
0: time. <laughs> I'm Zach?
2: I'm Zach, and I work at uh, Narrative, which is a software company. Uh, We're a deep tech company. Uh, We have an AI software which helps photographers, so it's kind of this blend of technology and um, creativity. And my role there is to lead our marketing and our growth uh, team.
0: I was like, Zach could tell I was lost when he was explaining. And then basically what it comes down to is that photographers take so many pictures and they need to sometimes not have as many. And his company, his thing, AI basically gets the awesome ones. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's that's a good summary. Um, And
0: Holly, you do a few things.
3: Yeah, I'm one of those strange people that do a lot of different things. So I find this question hard. I can't just say I do one thing. Um, I run a marketing business, a PR and marketing business, and uh, write for magazines. I work for Parenting Place. There's a couple of people here from Parenting Place um, in the PR team and as a presenter, and I um, run a campaign with Joe Robertson, who's in the front there, um, yeah, which is essentially campaigning for child protection online. So kind of, st- oh, and I'm studying as well. I'm studying at the moment. So I'm kind of just like a little bit of everything at the moment.
0: How Holly capacity? It's crazy. Um, now I'm a stressed Susan, out person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Susan and Holly, you swapped. So Holly, you originally started as a teacher as a means to get to your end result, and Susan, you so desperately wanted to be a teacher, um, but you weren't accepted, and you ended up in fashion kind of by default. But now you've ended up becoming a teacher. Of fashion, Um, so you've both gone in very creative journeys to kind of end up where you um, have. Um, Susan, do you want to kick off and tell us briefly how you ended up where you have? I mean, this—I know this is this is a whole lifetime of um, stuff. So me saying briefly, but the main points of how you ended up.
1: All right, I think I can probably easily sum this up with an outfit. Those who are old enough think of the '70s, think of Zandra Rhodes. Bright polyesters, loud prints, matching turbans with one's outfit. So, I was a 14 year old who my mother made my clothes and they just weren't quite up to scratch. I loved bright. So as a 14-year-old, I would drive my family crazy by sitting at the dining room table when they were watching television, hated television, whipping up outfits. This particular Zandra Rhodes-inspired number I wore to my third interview, desperately trying to get into teacher's college. All I wanted to do, be a secondary school teacher. As I was leaving my third interview, a very wise woman said, Have you ever thought about fashion? No, I replied, I want to be a secondary school teacher. When I received the letter, third time failure, my loving father said, have you thought about fashion as a career? No, he helped me apply. Apparently the course was really difficult to get into. I'd never studied any art subjects, couldn't draw to save myself, so went in fairly dejected but wearing the same Zandra Rhodes inspired outfit. First question from the head of school. Who made your outfit, dear? I did, I make all my clothes. We can teach you to draw, don't worry. So that was the beginning. Fashion
0: it was. Um, (laughs) Isn't... Isn't it? It's, I just love that, how it's so obvious to everybody else that Susan should be working fashion, and yet to Susan, her mind was on the teaching. And um, we're going to talk a bit more about the, the rest of the journey that kind of got Susan to the final destination. Um, but what about you, Holly? You, I know your passion has always been to end up wanting to um, be involved in social change, but you started your journey teaching in South Auckland.
3: Yeah, I, um, I studied a I studied a Bachelor of Social Work when I was 18 because I just, I guess I'd grown up in South Auckland and um, a single parent family and in state housing and I just wanted to work with people that, you know, were disadvantaged or what have you and I, um, yeah, started this Bachelor of Social Work and um, I would cry in my lectures, <laughs> just like hearing about the case studies and I thought this is not the job for me. I will um, take all this emotion home and oh yeah, it's not a good time for me, so I, um. Went in to do a Bachelor of Arts, and I majored in Politics and Sociology, and kind of wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I knew that um, I wanted to work in the policy space eventually, um, but I wanted to just work on the ground with young people, so I became a high school teacher, and I went I applied to work in a decile one school in South Auckland, um, and I went straight into Odaho College, and I loved it. We had a security guard, two security guards on the gate at all times, they still do a police on staff, and I just loved it, but I'm not a natural teacher personality, I don't really, it's just not my personality, I just wanted to hang out with the kids All the teachers, All the teachers sitting
0: here are going, what is a teacher personality, Ollie? (laughs) Well, they know stuff, I don't know (laughs) stuff,
3: I would like research the night before and figure out what I had to teach the next day, and yeah, but it was a great job, I specialised in social sciences and health, so it was a really good time, I did it for five years
0: and then decided to change careers. Okay, and um, Zach, you were a bit different because you kind of had school, you were pretty chilled out, you were good at things, you were friends with everyone, but you didn't really know what you wanted to do apart from the fact that you wanted to be successful. Um, And then you went away on a gap year, and that kind of gave you real clarity, didn't it, on what you decided you want to share
2: about that? Yeah, so uh, thinking back to high school... um I took really kind of academic subjects and it was really like calculus and physics and all these kind of things. And I I thought I'd be in some kind of engineering kind of role or something really technical. Um, But I kind of just was doing that because I thought that's what you should do. Um, Who
0: thinks they should do calculus or physics? (laughs) I really challenged him on this. I was like, is this a gender thing? What, I would never think that of any way of my life whatsoever. Yeah,
2: I went to an all boys Catholic school, so maybe that had something to do with it. But um, yeah, I took a, I, I really had no idea what I wanted to do and I took a gap year through, um, had an amazing church and amazing youth group and ended up in this gap year program with 10 other, um, or 15 other um, young people at the time. And we, it was really missions focused. And uh, ended up in Thailand for three months teaching English. And uh, through this time, like, God just really um, changed my perspective on things. And, you know, at that time you're quite young and you don't really know much about the world. So I all of a sudden had a heart for people. Um, and
0: Do you want to say about what was at the beginning of your trip and what was written at the end of your oh, trip? Oh, yeah.
2: So when Mary interviewed me, I said there was a really embarrassing thing. You do this, like, reflective um, piece when you start the gap you're in at the end. And at the at the end of the year, they show you what you wrote. And at the start of the year, I had written, "I want to make lots of money." Um,
0: There's nothing wrong with wanting to make money. Can I just say that's not a bad thing?
2: No, but it was. Um, I was horrified more because I think, um, yeah, my perspective kind of changed around the impact I wanted to have, rather than just like an outcome. So, yeah, that really was a. Um, kind of changed my direction and I ended up doing a, um, co- a communications degree at AUT and really felt going into this, um, it just felt really like a strong sense that I should do that um, and it was very people focused and media and advertising and public relations which is completely the antithesis of what I was doing um, in high school um, and I did really well at that and um, I guess connecting to to today and where I'm at um, it's amazing thing that that story comes together this seed planted around enjoying technical things, ending up having a heart for people, and then doing this creative kind of media-focused uh, role that's um, then connected me in with, um, you know, I'm in this tech company with a whole bunch of software engineers who, no offense to software engineers, but really don't like socializing or don't want to connect with people. And so I'm this person in that in that space that's- um Ring the Yeah, basically.
0: And, and what I loved about your story, um, when you spoke to me was that said, you said, I feel closest to God in my work environment. And I just think that's awesome. And because um, you've often seen probably, maybe sometimes in hindsight, how God has always weaved his creativity through the good things and the bad things. And um, you told me about your enthusiasm for a startup project that you had where people could rent items instead of buy them, which I think is a great idea, but the universe did not think it was a great idea and sadly didn't agree. And um, obviously I know that was really hard for you and I was wondering how did you cope with that and how did that kind of affect your creativity and what do you think you've learned from that now and how you do life and work?
2: Yeah, so in my mid 20s, I um, kind of realized I love startups and um, watched a lot of information around startups, podcasts, shows, all this kind of stuff. Um, really wanted to get into that space, so decided um, there were at the time there weren't too many opportunities available for me in New Zealand, so I was going to make my own opportunity. So, found a developer, self funded this, um, basically found something I was kind of passionate about, which was um, reducing um, wastage, which is people just, or consumption, people buying all this stuff, so built this peer-to-peer rental platform and thought I was going to be off to the races, built this thing, and launched it, and I was like, now now the thousands of people are going to come on board and use my product, and it was like crickets, Um, which is really, um, you know... when I was younger, quite like that's quite tough, um, and and you put yourself into making a project like that, so all of a sudden I was getting this rejection, things weren't working, and I was all of a sudden having to learn how to like try grow this platform and, and do all these different kind of things. Um, so it really stretched, um, it stretched me um, and grew me, and I think um, the implications for oh well, yeah, so I felt really dejected and um, quite frustrated. I'm putting in my money, my time, I reduced my hours and my full-time job so I could do this thing and take a pay cut and all this kind of stuff, um, and it just wasn't, I wasn't seeing the fruits of it. Um, so it's kind of one of those things when you're like, why God, why? Um, but kind of fast-forwarding um, a little bit, it opened so many, like, the platform didn't work out, spoiler alert, um, but... It opened so many doors for me. So I got noticed. I was working in banking at the time. Got noticed by the head of digital. It got me my launch into tech, um, and I ended up in quite a few tech companies from there. um, And um, taught me so many lessons that I wouldn't have learnt um, just working for someone because I was really close to this problem. Um, So it's it's. I've been able to draw on a lot of experience from that. Whether it's you know my current role or roles that I've done, you know, pitching to VCs, looking at what's going wrong or what is working in a company, figuring out ways to generate more revenue or more growth, um, talking to the team and corralling people around a problem, um, and really understanding the business end to end, not just my my little slice of, of the company.
0: And what I loved is that you said um, creative thinking is not necessarily efficient thinking. And I kind of really like that because, you know, just because we're being creative, it doesn't always mean that we're going to get the result that we desire. But it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with that creativity. And what we might learn from it, even if it's not the desired outcome, can be so... useful for going forward. Um, and Susan, you also went through a really tough period that paused your kind of normal creativity. You had a brain tumour and life stopped for quite a while. And you weren't able to work or drive. And you'd just been setting up a project in Bali, teaching um, pe- women to sew. And you were excited about getting back to that, but that had to pause. Um, how did you cope creatively, creative, creatively at that time? And how did you feel about God during that time? This was
1: definitely a low point in my life, I have to say, mainly because I really thought I'd found the thing. Because fashion, I always felt, was my default. I was always kind of looking at how God could use that to be my thing. And this um, social enterprise project I was invited to work on in Bali I was so excited about. Finally, I had found a way of weaving fashion into where my heart really was um, for for people. And so when the door suddenly slammed shut, um, I couldn't travel, I couldn't drive, I had some fairly major post-operative problems, um, which meant that I was having quite nasty seizures. And I learned an awful lot about the stigma associated with seizures. You know, jobs you go for, people you talk to. No longer, you know, are you trusted? I couldn't trust my own body um, because I never knew when these were going to occur. So, yeah, it was a really rough few years. Um, I had problems associated with medication um, on my skin, and so. Job was actually one of my favorite books. I would be awake long hours of the night, not being able to sleep, having to have cold baths because of the impact of the medication on my skin. But, you know, there was one evening I remember, sort of two two years through into this, trying all sorts of different um, answers. Um, And I was wide awake in the the middle of the lounge where I would often go in to try and get some sleep and give my husband a bit of a break. And I sensed this incredible hand, this huge hand, which I just felt was God's hand. And it was like that hand held me. I was so tiny and so small. And I just sensed that God was saying, it's okay, I've got this. You're going to be all right. Um, It was fairly um, soon after that that... I was surrounded by uh, family members, husband, daughter, son-in-law that were all doing postgraduate study. I also came across a book that spoke about the brain that heals itself. So what had happened was the scar tissue, I'd had the tumour for a long, long time, the scar tissue had um, really built up in my brain and that's what was causing the seizures. This book spoke about someone who had had a major stroke and by learning a new skill, they had found new neural pathways that re- um, triggered the brain in a different way and a lot of those physical symptoms had been healed. So I thought, what on earth can I do? Um, could it be music? Could it be a language? And actually, I went to fashion and I thought, okay, I have been a practitioner in fashion for 30 years and there was an opportunity to do some postgraduate study at AUT, using your practice and then doing a practice-based masters. So very tentatively on my bicycle, wobbled off, that was the only transport, bicycles and buses because I couldn't drive. and enrolled for this. It was such a super scary time, and I did it. I did my postgraduate diploma, managed to get through that, and then was invited to do the master's programme. And through the two years that I was studying, I noticed that my brain actually was refiring. The seizures were becoming less, And I was, um, you know, feeling a bit more confident in my body. But the most exciting thing was that academically, fashion became this wonderful world where, my goodness, it was so exciting. You know, fashion as an academic study takes you into history, um, sociology, geography. There are so many sciences with textiles and so what had become kind of a mistake, I thought, making a wrong decision, suddenly became such a big world. I was meeting people that um, were really stimulating and
0: yeah, fashion became something quite different. And then um, you ended up, there was a job for a lecturer and the recruitment person said, you'll be perfect for this job. Yeah. And you got it. Absolutely. It it was amazing. I was looking for transferable
1: skills. Actually, you know, joining sort of the world of um, academia, I was thinking I can use those research skills in another area. And I kept pushing for social enterprise, thinking that's, you know, that's my thing. That's where I should be. Um, But no, it was this recruitment agent that said we have something just for you.
0: And there you had your childhood dream of teaching, and up that come into fruition? <laughs> yeah, and
1: they actually, in that job, they paid for my tertiary teaching education, and so, you know, it was a that circle. lovely, lovely circle, yeah.
0: Um, so, and then Holly, you have also had periods in your life where sickness has really affected you as well, sadly, and um, it's inhibited your work and your normal creativity, and so how have you had to adapt with that as well?
3: Um yeah, I... Oh, that's such a hard question. I know that we have talked about this, but it's kind of like...
0: You created your whole um, company. Yeah, so it. I
3: guess I have had chronic pain for a long time. I had an accident in my 20s. I had two accidents and um, developed chronic pain. And, uh, yeah, I kind of went through many years trying to see specialists and figure out how to... Um, yeah, heal from this pain that was um, debilitating. I would end up in hospital with quite severe back spasms um, often, unable to breathe. Um, I kind of navigated it quite well in my 20s because I was teaching and I was moving around a lot, but I found that if I was sitting down, like, you know, when I was studying to be a teacher, I was just in agony, just sitting is really uncomfortable, burning neck pain, pain down my arms, couldn't carry um, bags, heavy things, pushing a trolley. So all of those things, but um, yeah, I think when I became a mum at the age of 30, it got really exacerbated, because you're holding a baby all the time, and you know, breastfeeding, and you're looking down, and I, um, at that point, got referred to the pain clinic at Auckland Hospital, and I was there, I've just been, um, I kind of have been rehabbing with them for the last 10 years, um, so since last year was the last time I saw them, um, but I kind of, I had this underlying feeling of like, I'm going to be healed from this. I'd grown up in um, a church environment where you didn't accept sickness and you um, believed you had faith for healing. And so I think that actually, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think for me, it really tripped me up because I was internally fighting this thing. And um, when I was about 35, I think Billy was about three, uh, no, I must have been... 36 I got really sick for a long period of time it was about five months and I just had extreme vertigo and I um, was hospitalized with it a number of times I would get it just in random places I remember once walking into school with the kids and saying to my kids oh um, mummy's not feeling very well if I fall over just run to the office and ask them to call an ambulance and I made it to the office, and then I just started vomiting all over myself in front of everyone—the principal, the DP, the office—and I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine," because I didn't really know what was wrong, and I was just like happy Holly, like, "Yeah, <laughs> Everything, everything's great." And um, I mean, she's they, still a bit we, like that now. Yeah, <laughs> I went to hospital, and um, anyway, anyway, turned out that I had this um, incurable disease called years disease. It sounds like many ears, like you have a lot of ears, but it's many ears disease, it's French, French, <laughs> French word, um, so yeah, I have this disease that, um, I have fluid sacs in my balance, in a, in a balance system, and it just flares up, and I take 25 pills a day, and I have a very severe case of it, and Sometimes I'm fine, like right now I'm very functional and um, some days I'm not so fine.
0: But you created, so you were doing teaching and you paused, you kind of stopped that and you had to have kids and then you started doing some freelance writing and then you kind of created the Media Project and so in that you were able to, where you were doing writing and, but all of the end result was this, was so that you would end up being able to do social policy, wasn't it? Kind of get, you wanted yeah. to get
3: experience in everything and... Yeah, so when I was a high school teacher, I started running a little business on the side, and um, I was also writing for magazines, and I really enjoyed that. And I thought, oh, this is a really cool kind of this is a cool job that I could do when I'm a mum because I wanted to be a mum, I wanted to work from home, and I also wanted to kind of work in the in the space of helping people or, you know, talking about social issues or whatever. And so I just felt like it was a small step towards that thing. And I remember, you know, going to see someone that was involved with social policy and getting some advice from them to pers- keep pursuing the writing side because, um, yeah, it could potentially be an area that I could work in in terms of, yeah, talking about social issues. We moved to Australia. I got a job in marketing because I just really enjoyed the, the work that I was doing and the kind of communicating information space. And then I started my business um, and, yeah, just got a lot of clients. And then, hired a lot of friends that were um, marketing professionals that had become mums and didn't want to go back to full-time corporate life, but wanted to work from home. And so I just kind of divvy the work out. I had about 10 or 12 clients and spread the work out among all the mamas and... We'd be burning the midnight oil, working, and
0: but then that was super ill, um, ill, super um, useful for when you were ill because you had this job. And um, I just want to say, one thing that you'd said is that you know, five months of all this pain. This was quite recently, wasn't it? You've been so ill, and you said all the things I strive for, all the meaning, all everything kind of became irrelevant. And you realised that all that mattered was your family, health, and God. And you would lie in bed and you would just pray for people because you actually couldn't do anything else. And you were like, "This is my purpose." I'm just going to lie here between vomiting and pray. <laughs> and, um, and, you, and, and it was interesting. You'd obviously gone from a theology where it was, um, you know, pray, pray, get healed, get healed. Whereas you actually kind of realized that suffering, you had this realization that suffering is part of human existence, sadly. And um, you kind of just learned how to deal with it. And you learned that what you were is enough. Like you had pressure on yourself to be a better man, but you were just lying there and you learned
3: that was enough. Yeah. I think that was the time that I was um, getting diagnosed with many years disease. It took a long time for them to figure it out because I had, you know, I've had 12 year surgeries and I had neck trauma and whatever. But Phil Halstead was actually a really amazing person for me during that time. is he always? I kind of, I hit this wall and I was like, I've learned to live with chronic pain, but I don't think I can live with this extra thing that's really debilitating. And Phil would come and pray with me every Friday, and I just had this period of five months where I just cried every day, and I was so sad, and I let myself be sad, because I'd always chosen to be positive, and thank God for everything, but I was like, actually, I'm going to grieve, and I, that was an amazing process, because I accepted that I had these conditions, that I had to learn to live with them, and I could tailor my
0: work to suit my Good days and bad days, and I think what you can see through that is, the, you know, how God used you for other people. And I think in creativity, you know, when we look at, um, I want to kind of look at how God uses creativity for the bigger picture of His kingdom. And um, you know, as Jim shared the other week, God wanted to share His creation, so He created Adam, and then He created Eve, so that Adam would have someone to live in alongside. And what I love about creativity is that being creative on your own is kind of generally fun. But if you've created something or are passionate about something, you want to share it with other people. And when we want to share it with other people and we bring other people into it, often we get more passionate. And then um, when we're able to do it alongside others, it's kind of we're doing it all together. And I think... Um, God puts ideas and he puts burdens on our heart. And he makes us these fantastically creative people so that we can use creativity to do his work on earth as well. And what I was really fascinated about your stories, all of you guys, is how with all of your lives, there's been this common theme running through about all of your stories. You know, for people, you're wanting to teach, you really have care about people. And God has really clearly used your past experiences of your life Um, And the way he uniquely created you to use these experiences in your everyday life for him. And I can think of, you know, so many themes in my own life where um, there's these current themes. I mean, the most obvious one is that my dad's a pastor and now I'm flipping up here on the stage doing the same thing. Although not to his extent, but... um, you know, there's been a roller coaster of creativity that's got me to this place, but God has used me in my life as He has used to use creativity for other people. And Holly, you said back to you again. You said you had a bit of an unstable childhood, and you—I mean, you sadly experienced things that no other people children children should experience. But aside from that, you've always been someone that cared deeply for this wor- world. And can you talk about how that has shaped you and what you're doing with Make Sense campaign with Joe, and how that all started? I know your mum's said that as a child you just wanted you wanted to adopt children and run an orphanage and you used to just sob on the floor for people Um, so can you just um, briefly talk about how that kind of helped um, with Joe's start make sense
3: yeah, I think um, my heart for people and for brokenness, it, I definitely had used my creativity in that space where I think of ideas and ways to make the world better. And sometimes I can get quite overwhelmed with that because... Um, You're I'm an just, empathetic person. little person. <laughs> but, you know, we're all little people with little cogs in this big wheel and we can all play our little part and it all adds up. Um, so, yeah, I think that I just have, yeah, had this desire to really work with people and help people. And that's... Um, I have you know, had this... Uh, overwhelming desire to work in the public policy space, but have just been waiting for the timing to be right because I've had young kids. And um, um, Joe is a porn researcher, and she I've asked her many questions about her work. And um, I guess I have a bit of a background as nerd. pornography researcher. Just
0: in case you're like, did she say what I thought she said? She did. Yeah, it's kind of a intense. It's a very battle. niche role.
3: Yeah, and um, yeah, I'm quite curious about her work and about you know I've worked with young people and I work in the parenting place. So I'm interested about tech and how you know kids are exposed to things that they shouldn't be. and what is um, how kids we should talk later because you know <laughs> it's yeah um, they're like yeah I think just the lack of protections um, in the internet space is quite concerning. And so talking with Joe, we were just talking about how we could kind of advocate for measures to be put into place to make. Um, impactful change, and so we have been working on this campaign called Make Sense, please look it up, we have a petition running, makesense.org.nz, um, and yeah, we've just kind of had this idea, this little seed of a we were at the swimming pools with our kids were swimming, and we were just chatting and talking about, it. and I was like, we well, need to do something about this, and Joe was like, yes, we do, and I said, well, let's do it, and she goes, okay. And then I went home and put Billy to bed for a nap and wrote up a bit of a business plan. Do you remember that? And I emailed it to you that afternoon, but Joe was like, wow, you're really intense. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I am. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then, you know, that was fast forward a year and we've, we've been paid by a really generous charity that's paying us two days a week. And the last month or so, have been meeting with ministers and MPs and um, internet service providers
0: and my waffling I
3: could just keep going. No, no, going. Yeah, no. I'm just going to speed you along a bit. singing or But what,
0: <laughs> what is so? Is I'm. I'm just. It's all right, Holly said, "You're my mate, so you can just interrupt." Yeah. So well, she so gave me that um, look. She gave me that so look. So what, what? What I find so inspiring about this is how many of us have ideas in our minds, or we're burdened by something, and we just go, "Oh, we just don't know." What, like Holly says, it's overwhelming, and I think. Um, you know, not all of us, and I'm saying not all of us are Holly and Joes. You know, these girls, they get on with it. Joe has an idea, boom, it happens. And and we're not all like that. And we're not all called to be like that. Sometimes we are, God asks us to pray for these things. Sometimes he asks us to financially give. Sometimes we're just there to support or volunteer. But what I love is that they've just gone and done something and it's so inspiring. And what these two girls are doing and will have done will change generations and safety. Like, oh gosh, I always flipping cry up here. (laughs) I'm so proud of them because what they've done is saving my children and your children and your grandchildren. They've had an idea. They've done something about it. God has used them to change the world for a better. And like that is a historical thing, what they're doing. Other countries are looking to them, what they're doing. And I just find that so inspiring, that creativity that is fueled is making change um, for our world and for New Zealand. So you should definitely find it out. And I'm so proud of them. Oh, gosh, that wasn't the plan. Um, <laughs> I'm so emotional. Um, and Susan, like you're like me, you were brought up in a strong Methodist household. And for those of you who don't know denomination Methodism, there's a strong emphasis on helping the poor and needy. You're married to Richard. Richard um, worked for Tear Fund. Um, and you also grew up housing in need. I'm just saying that I know that this doesn't factor in other things we've taken out, so it's okay, it's okay for the moment. Um, and... Um, just really quickly, can you just tell me the story of what happened in the studio with when you, you, know, you were thinking you should be working in mission fields, and what happened?
1: Yes, I, had, I ran my own little business when I first finished, someone set me up. Top of Cuba Street in Wellington, and um, suddenly, I also at the same time had a renewal of my faith, And in the middle of the night, because I'd always end up in the studio at nighttime doing these projects for people, I just became overwhelmed thinking, what on earth does fashion have to do with saving the world? I really should be on the mission field, should be going to Africa. Um, And it was an overwhelming sense, but that never left me. It was always kind of there. And I felt at that time God saying, it's okay. Everyone has needs. Your wealthy customers have the same needs as the poor. And it was that assurance, and I think that was kind of um, one of those statements that kept me going through the Tear Fund days, um, really, that it was all okay. And we spent a lot of time with the very wealthy that wanted to give and the very poor on the mission field when I had the privilege of traveling with Richard, seeing small enterprises that women were involved with um, so, yeah, that, that word all those years ago in the studio really prepared me for that.
0: And I know that even, um, we haven't got time to talk about it now, but I know even in your day-to-day life, you know, I know recently that there was a student who you basically saved her life because she was suicidal. And, um, you know, every day you're dealing in this kind of post-COVID culture and anxiety-driven culture. You're dealing with these students who are just in need and needing God's love, and you're able to show that, which is absolutely amazing. Um, and... And Zach, you've worked out that you just love people and you experience heaps of God's love through um, the way that you work with people. And how do you, and just briefly again, in your day-to-day life, how do you show that love in your work?
2: Yeah, when, when we talked about it, I um, I guess, yeah, realized that in, in my workplace, um, you, you spend so many hours at work and um, with these people that are your colleagues. And it would be very miserable to not try connect with them and create this great environment to be in. So I feel a real sense of, um, you know, connecting with my work colleagues. I'm that guy that wants to go to the office all the time. So I'm like in the office most days a week. Um, It's when I do my best work, connecting with people, collaborating with people. Um, And so I try to get to know my work colleagues, connect with them, make their work um, an enjoyable place to be. And I also think that's uh, working out of my faith as well. That people, when they find out that I'm a Christian and I love God, that they kind of connect. That that I'm um, a person that cares about them and not just, you know, why isn't this thing working or whatever it is.
0: And I know I have to testify to that. That I um, go to there's a school dad who used to work with um, Zach at Westpac, and he was like, Zach, man, that guy is the nicest guy, and he just he just makes you feel great because he laughs at all my jokes. <laughs> <laughs> And I know um, we wanted to talk more a bit about, you know, how we're not going to have time, but, you know, even your day-to-day lives of parenting, you know, Zach, I know for you, it's been, we always talk about the women and how it affects women, but it's been tough for you, and you've had to think creatively about how you balance life and work and being a husband and how that all works as well. And um, and you're going to have another on the way, so you're going to have even more sussing that out. And I know this has just been a real snippet of your stories and you know, we could have talked for much longer, but I'm just so grateful for all of you three for being so open and honest. And I'm sure if you've got more questions, these guys would be happy to share it. And I feel like um, what I love is that you're all so unique. You're such different people. But God, how amazingly has God used them all in um, all so many different things in day-to-day lives. So um, just want to thank you for being so open, for letting God use you, for being so open today. And let's just give them a round of applause. And um, thanks, guys. Um, so God has given us all a brief of life and a blank canvas, canvas and he has um, developed um, a character within us where he trusts us and he doesn't just put us on a one-way track. He gives us the freedom to, me to take that? Take He gives us the freedom to create life and um, when we're hoping, when we've got God in that we can follow His path. And I think um, God wants to be able to develop us in maturity, so that He can empower us to do things our own way. He gives us that freedom. We don't. We don't. He doesn't control us in the or, or make help us to do things in the way that um, you know when we're younger, we need that help. And so I just wonder the creativity that God has put on your hearts. What are the ideas that He has planted? What are the desires that He has given you? The burdens and the broken hearts for other people. How does God want to use you to further His kingdom? And I would love you just to close your eyes briefly and we're going to spend a moment just thinking about that and I just want you to think with an open mind I want to acknowledge that of course we all have those lies that we speak over ourselves saying that we're not good enough or that others would be better at it than us or why would we be the ones that God uses and so if those thoughts come up I want you to send those right away those are not good thoughts and we're not listening to those today And so I'm sure as you were hearing the stories today that something would have cropped up that would have resonated with you. Maybe it was a big idea. Maybe it was just a thought process that you could relate to. There may have been heaps. There may have just been one. But whichever thought that was sparked and resonated the most, I want you to sit with that for a moment. And I want you to ask yourself, God, what do you want me to do with this? how do you want to use me in this? And again, if those negative thoughts come up, push them away. I just want to remind you that we are blank canvases. And even if this thought or this idea seems too huge or overwhelming, God has no limits in what he can do by his Holy Spirit or how he can use you. This is a time to be excited about the creativity that God has given you to use for others. I'm just going to ask the um, worship team to come up. I'm just going to pray. Father God, I just thank you that you plant seeds in our mind, Lord. You give us burdens for others. You make us weep for sorrow and for sadness that you see, Lord. You, ha- you um, give us big dreams for your glory, Father. And today, Lord, where dreams might have been sparked, where feelings have been...